may be seated. Good morning. That's one of those songs I'm always curious when we sing it, if we really understand. I remember a long time ago, when I was a youth, a speaker by the name of Tony Campalo said, the new national hymn of the church is, I surrender some things. Uh, very powerful words. If we take them internally and allow God's spirit to speak to us. For those that are visiting with us, we're in a series in the book of James. We're at James chapter 5. We're looking at the first three verses. And James is a book that addresses Christian maturity. And so out of the gate, he says, we need to choose joy in the midst of trials. John Ortberg said this, a tribulation-filled world will always tend to take our joy and liveliness away. So James addresses that issue. He's listen, as Christians, we do have choices. We don't have to let our circumstances and our situations dictate how we navigate this life. And so James addresses several issues. We can let the world live in us, or we can let God live in us. And so he talks about trials and desires that war within ourselves and each other. He talked about our tongue and our attitude towards people with money and those who do not have much money. He talked about worldliness, systems and philosophies of a fallen world that take place of how God created us to be. And this morning, James addresses a new issue with Christian maturity. It's that of materialism. Now, when you look at the life of Jesus, I had to ask myself a question this past week. How did Jesus stay center? I mean, I know he was God, but what were the practices that he used that kept him having God at the center of his life instead of all this other stuff? What practices did he implement so he would choose, as Hebrews says, the joy set before him, which was the cross? We know he prayed, and we know he prayed a lot. We also know he had a circle of close friends that went through life with him. We know he fed his mind with scripture. We also know that he enjoyed regular corporate worship. One of the interesting phrases I found, and you see it through the Gospels, but this one's found in Luke. Here's what it said. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Now, you know and I know the synagogue in his day had a lot of serious issues. But that was a practice that he used every week. We know he enjoyed God's creation. He took long walks through his creation. He welcomed little children and blessed them. And one that might be a bit different that we don't think about, but he enjoyed going to parties of non-religious people. In Matthew chapter 11, we read these words, and it just shows you kind of how fickle we are. It says, for John came neither drink, eating or drinking, and they said he's a demon. So the religious community didn't like John because of his aesthetic practices, his refusal to go to the parties. Then the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom, which James talks about, is justified by her deeds. Here's our problem. We often look at spiritual disciplines as an obligation. 
as a task to do. And there's so much more to it than that. The song that 360 Worship gave this morning, the kids, it was called The Reckless Love of God. And did you pay attention to the words? It talked about how God sings over us, breathes life into us. He chases us. He gives himself away for us. His love fights for us. It comes after us. Reminds me of a poem back in the 1800s written by Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. And the author wrote how God pursued him when he did everything to flee from God. So spiritual disciplines are more about a pursuit than a list of things we do. They're natural rhythms of life. Spiritual disciplines are part of our DNA, our experiences, our life. And we have to understand that when James addresses the sin of materialism. James says the goal is to live with deep joy and contentment. James says the goal is to have confidence in God with everyday life experiences. Materialism takes God out of the picture. It puts gold in place of God. And I'm going to use the word gold to illustrate all the stuff that we have. It's about using wealth for sinful, selfish purposes. And so these are the issues that James talks about. Now, in James chapter 5, the verse 3 verses, he talks about the consequences of misusing money. Let's read them together. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. He says, come now. That phrase means take an assessment. Do an evaluation. Take time to think about it. And when you think about materialism in America in the year 2019, let me make this first comment. You cannot live in contemporary America and not be lured by the evil materialism. It's pervasive. It's in your face. You're confronted every corner of life. You know, back in the 1900s, John Wesley had a little formula. He says, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. The formula for most Americans today is gain all you can and spend more than you can. There's a story of a man who bought a brand new BMW. And he's going down a windy road on the side of a mountain, and he's going too fast. And he misses a corner. And just before his car goes over the edge, he jumps out of the car, but his arm gets caught. And as he rolls out of the car and the car continues on, it pulls his arm right out of the socket. Car crashes down over the hill. He sits up. He's in shock, blood running everywhere. He looks over the cliff and begins to moan, Oh, look at my new BMW. Now remember, he's missing an arm, and he kept saying and moaning, Oh, look at my new BMW. And a motor stops, gets out, runs over, sees the man, sees blood everywhere. He says, Sir, we got to get you to the, right, to the hospital right away. i got to call 911. Your arm's missing. He looks down, he sees his arm missing. He begins to moan, Oh, my Rolex is missing. Now, 
That's how many people live. That's how many people live. Materialism affects their perspective. Their idols are stuff, and it, they live it to their own harm, and they can't see it. Now, Jesus denotes the seriousness of this issue in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Here's what he says. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one, love and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's interesting that he pointed out that particular idol. Paul writing to a young pastor, and it's fascinating to me, I've been doing this for over 40 years, and today we don't want pastors to preach on money. We tell pastors, pastor, we want you to preach the word. And as long as they're talking about someone else's sin, people are happy. But we're often told that you got to be careful what you say about money because you might offend somebody. Well, I'm not saying what I think about money. I'm saying what James thinks about money. And we somehow believe that it's a personal matter. Just preach God's word, disciple me, and I'll take care of the money part. And yet it's all over scripture. I mean, look at what Paul says to a young pastor. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who desire, and note the word desire there. We're going to talk about this in a moment. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's like the man sitting on top of a hill looking and moaning about his new BMW and his Rolex when he needs health care. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, this desire that we talked about in James chapter 1, that some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, just before this passage, here's what Paul tells Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And like we talked about last week, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Later on in the same chapter, Verse 17 through 19, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So what he's saying is, if you have money, you center yourself on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as good foundation for the future, and that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, here's the question we all have to ask ourselves this morning as we get into this text. Am I a materialist? Is that something that has my heart? Have I replaced God and put gold in its place? Now, here's the first principle I want to look at. And you saw it through the text I've been reading. When the Bible talks about materialism, it's never about how much money you have or do not make. It's not how much money you have or do not have in the bank. It's not about income. Okay, we have to settle that issue. Because so often, because we're materialists, we make it about X amount of dollars. Some of God's servants throughout Scripture are very wealthy. You take Job and Abraham and Solomon. You take Joseph of Arimathea, who Jesus was buried in a tomb that he bought. It's not what you have. 
but it's a mindset of how you think about it, how you feel about it, what you do with it. And so James and other places said, listen, you can be poor and be a materialist. You can be rich and be a materialist. The concern is, do you take your gold, what represents wealth, and make it God? Do you take your gold and expect it to do what only God can do? Things like security. Things like peace. Things like fulfillment and joy. See, so often, rather than looking at what God has provided you and provided me, his goodness to us, being content and trusting God with that, we view our gold as something with, look at what we've made. Look at what, and we have this independent mindset that somehow we use our resources. Long time ago, (laughs) these words were written in Deuteronomy. And he's talking to Israel and he says, listen, beware lest you say in your heart, this is what you feel. This is what you think. My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Now, again, look back at what James just said. I mean, God a long time ago said, listen, I gave you the power. I gave you the privilege. I put you in circumstances to gain the wealth. And see, a materialist kind of says, no, you know what? Look at me. Look at what I've done. But let's go back to James. Remember, he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Money will not make you happy. It will not make you content. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be the evidence against you. You will eat your flesh like fire. It just talks about how we, our desires just eat us up and chew us up. Instead of choosing joy. See, materialist is someone who submits themselves to gold instead of God. A materialist is someone who makes an idol out of money, and they are enslaved. Now, there's many different ways we can be enslaved. We can be enslaved because we're in debt, and we have so much debt, we just don't know what to do. That's one consequence. But we can, we can be enslaved physically to it. We can be enslaved emotionally to it. We can be enslaved spiritually to it. We can have a lot in our bank accounts and still... That has become our security. But of course, if that's become our security, we never are secure because it's never quite enough, is it? Now, one of the questions you have to ask, because this always makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Is why does James bring this up? I mean, isn't it obvious? It's part of our spiritual maturity. We have to be disciplined in our wealth. I think secondly, he doesn't want to see people fall into the pains and tribulations of the sin of greed. So we can give the excuse that when the preacher preaches about money, the church only wants your hard-earned money. It's a lie. Because Jesus and James and Paul and all the people who write about money, all they really truly want is for you to become a healthy follower of Jesus. 
and to avoid the consequences of this particular sin. The sin of greed, the sin of materialism, call it whatever you want, that turns gold into God, that takes the blessing of God and makes it an end unto itself. Rather than seeing God's blessing as an opportunity from God to serve others according to eternal purposes. So let me ask you a few questions this morning. Because you have, if you have to answer the question, am I a materialist? I know in your mind you're thinking, well, I know who is, and it's not me. But I need you to focus in upon yourself. So here's the first question. Are you content with what you have, or are you discontent until you get more? Think about that. Do you use God's resources like a credit card? And you try to buy peace and buy joy, and you put it on credit. See, the question really illustrates what is our focus and what is our dependency? Now, here's the second question. They really kind of go together. When God and gold come into conflict, who wins? It's a question of how generous are you? Has his blessing decreased your need for him in your life? Now, I've said several times that when Bev and I first got married, we lived sub-welfare. And back in those days, when you make less than welfare, you don't get a credit card and you can't get a bank loan on anything. Now, what that forced us to do for many years of our life is to live on cash. You hear the phrase, cash is king? Well, back then, that's all we could do. But it disciplined us to take what we had and just live on that. Today, I think with easy credit and everything else, we've taken that privilege away from a lot of our uh, people in this world. And so they've learned to live with debt, and they increase their debt, and it catches up, and we see the consequences of what James talks about. They just get into a lot of trouble, a lot of pain. It destroys a lot of things. I still remember when we went to a church and we actually were being paid a livable wage. We kind of looked at each other and said, wow, we can figure this out without God. I mean, we actually know now where we can get food and where we can buy a car and, you know, put a little way for retirement someday. You know, we can buy clothes for our kids. And it really felt strange because all of a sudden... We had to figure out a new way to depend on God because no longer did we need to depend because of the lack of income. And that was just a very unusual struggle for us. See, materialism causes us to lose perspective. Many people today feel poor. And they feel poor not because they are poor, and you've heard me say this before, that if you travel to third world countries, they call people on welfare in our country the rich poor because they have far more than anything they could ever dream of. But it causes us to lose perspective. We feel poor. We feel insignificant. And it causes a lot of relational conflicts. I've had too many couples sit down with me where they're fighting over money about where it should be spent instead of fighting for their marriage. I've seen couples make money more important than their marriage. I've watched people destroyed by money. 
I've witnessed families destroyed by money. I still remember one scene in Canada where we're coming to the viewing of the father and the family was fighting over the inheritance. Now the catch there was mom was still alive and she's there by the coffin. And one family packed up the household in a moving truck, took it across to Buffalo, across the States, so the rest of the family couldn't get what they thought they deserved. It mixes up our priorities. And that's why James lists these things, and it sounds so tragic. And you're saying to yourself, well, if I had money, I wouldn't experience any of those things. Well, if you let God become an idol, I mean, if you let gold become an idol, yes, you will. Now, you may be here this morning and saying, I can't be a materialist because I don't have money. You know, I'm broke. Maybe you're broke because you are a materialist. God has blessed you, but you want more, and it's never enough. I've heard this many times, and here's what people say, and they say in all kind of various things. Uh, I'm going to just pick on the lottery this week because there was a big jackpot this past week, and a lot of people were talking about it. But here's what they say. If I win the lottery, I'll give half to God. Now, is that a statement of a healthy follower of Jesus or a materialist? It's a materialist, isn't it? I mean, what kind of sweet deal is that? $750 million, something like that? Yeah, I'll give half to God. I'll just keep another half. But I hear people say all the time, you know, if I only had a little more money, if only somebody would give me this, if I only had a raise, if only this would happen to me. And they're very discontent with what God has already blessed them with. But here's what James is saying. When you substitute gold for God, it will cost you. And there's a price to pay. And it'll blind you from things that are more important. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 13. There is a grievous evil. And this is one of the most, most wealthy men in the world, in the history of the world, speaking, Solomon. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Under the sun means in this world. Take God out of the picture. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurts. Now, there's three kind of people here this morning. They're the haves. Haves, you're doing well. They're the have-nots. You're making just enough to get along. Then there's the have-not-paid-for-what-they-have. And they're kind of living in debt, in constant debt, and they just never seem to get out of debt. I want to look at the last phrase of verse 3. You have laid up treasure in the last days. This you have laid up is the idea of hoarding. It's the idea that you stockpile. It's the idea that you have amassed. And you ask the question, well, how do I know whether I hoard or I'm just kind of a smart investor? People who hoard have no goal or purpose except for the sake of collecting. People who hoard have no purpose except for the sake of, hey, look, it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I ran across this one time. We were at someone's house for a gathering, and they took me next door to an individual who owned his own business. He's around 40 years old. Um, First thing he did was show us his new ghost roars, Rolls Royce, I can't even pronounce it, in his garage. Now, if you know what that costs, it's about $450,000. 
Then he took me out back or took us out back to a building that he had built for his collection of Corvettes. I mean, it was a museum. And he had every single year of Corvettes since they'd been made. Imagine that. That's how big the barn was. He had won the first year, the second year, and he would buy and sell. When he finds one with less mileage, he would sell the one off and buy the other one. He had somebody who took the cars out for a spin, changed the oil, and here's the tragic part. This man had no joy. None. He was depressed. He talked about how suicidal he was. He was empty with no purpose in his life. He had amassed all this wealth. And I read James, and I see his life in that. I mean, this is someone in Lancaster County. Land Peter, Strasburg. I don't know where he lives now, but that's where he lived uh, when I met him. I remember working at Georgian College, and I became friends with the president because that's kind of an odd story because the president didn't want me there, but then we became friends with his wife. And one conversation, we sat down, and here's what he told me. He says, you know, he goes, I worked hard to achieve everything that me and my wife had desired to achieve. We've got our positions. He's, I've always wanted to be a president of the college. And Georgian College, Georgian college is about a president of about 30,000 students, so it was a big college. He's my wife has her position. She's always wanted. We have the house that we always dreamed about having. We have the prestige that we always thought about achieving. He says, but you know, He's me and my wife were a lot happier when we lived in a tiny bedroom, one-bedroom apartment in Toronto where we struggled financially because my wife was working just to pay the bills and put me through my doctrinal program. And then he said, I'm not getting the satisfaction I thought I would when I arrived at what I was working for. See, that's hoarding. Hoarding is using it according to our desires. And it might be a desire for security, but that's false. I ran into a, a story just about three weeks ago. And I was talking to the individual who was raised in a family where they were poor. At least he thought they were poor because they never had anything. They barely had food to survive, everything else. But he found out later that his mother had millions and millions of dollars stashed away. But she lost most of it in 2000 crash of the market. Now, let me give you this side note. James is writing, and there's some questions about when exactly that was. But this last phrase that he talks about, and this whole thought of what he's talking about, is really kind of being prophetic. Because in 70 AD, Rome invades. Rome's invaded, and literally, the Jewish nation lost everything. They lost it all. And when you read history, everybody got out with the clothes on their back. So if you were wealthy in a period of 12 hours, you literally had nothing. They simply tried to get out alive. So James starts talking about this, and it's really being prophetic, saying, listen, there's going to become a day, and you're going to have to come to reckon with it. We'll talk about this next week. And things you could have used for good, you were hoarding, and you lost it all. It's gone. 
It doesn't exist because of your circumstances. Let me add something else um, to this. You know, again, the 360 talked and sang about the reckless love of God. We talked about, I surrender all. Back in this day, Christians were just kind of deemed a little weird for a certain part of generosity that existed. In the days in which James was writing, abortion was very prevalent and fanticide was prevalent. If a family had a baby, they didn't want it. They just set it out by the curb, let it die. And yet, it seems like we as a nation are getting close to that. By the way, there is a, a movie in the theaters just started Friday called Unplanned. True story about a woman's journey where she was pro-choice, actually running a Planned Parenthood clinic, and then became alive to what was happening. And it's a fascinating story. I've read about it. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, my wife and I want to go to it. But what Christians did that day was they would go around and the babies that were put in the curb, they would pick them up and raise them as their own. That's part of the reckless love that we sang about. Here's what it comes down to. Everything God gives us is a blessing. And we use his resources. And resources is just not money, but money is something that is so prevalent today. But we use everything we have and we are first content with what we have. And secondly, we use them then to further his kingdom. Okay? That's what James is talking about. Now, this does not mean, because I hear Christians kind of get all weird about this, and they start getting frustrated. They say, well, we shouldn't travel anymore because it's a waste of money. That's not what it says. We shouldn't buy any more clothes. You know, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They never ran into a Walmart, so why should we? That's not what it's talking about. What this does mean is that we live a lifestyle of generosity that realizes every good gift comes from God and is to be used for his glory. It's why we need spiritual maturity. I remember preaching in my last church and I asked the question, does God cause some people to be more wealthy than others? And someone yelled out, no. And someone else yelled out, I think you're wrong, and he's going to tell you why. <laughs> and I wasn't going to tell him why. I was just going to explain how God views money. It's so differently than we do. That's why we need spiritual maturity. It's to sort the things out. And then we don't fall into the cost of replacing God with our gold. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to encourage you to go this week. Being content. Learning to bless. And not falling into the evils and the costs of turning gold into your God. Let me pray for you and with you. Father God. This is a tough one in our culture because we are so centered and obsessed with money. Um, many of us think we're poor, and yet we are so rich. First of all, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in all heavenly places. And so it doesn't matter how much we have. It's, the fact is we have you, and you are the center of everything we do. 
It's all yours. So I pray this morning, and I pray for a grateful heart that we are thankful for what you have given us. That we use it in a spirit of contentment and gratitude and generosity to advance your kingdom. And rather than looking at the way the world looks at stuff, we just humbly bow at your cross and realize that everything we have is from you. And we are so privileged. And we are privileged then to bless other people. To lead us with this kind of heart, lead us with this kind of mind. And I pray, Lord, that we have that, that love that you have for us that just kind of spreads out through this world. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said,